The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. guests today are highly recognized for their profound work in the area of spiritual awakening of the human potential. Dr. Susan Anthony has taken a remarkable life's journey overcoming many trials towards an enlightenment as author, healer, and spiritual guide in finding her true realm. Her latest book, A Map to God, has captured the imagination of people around the world with its depth and care for those looking for joy in their own lives. Dr. Lee Jamboski is recognized around the world as author of many books and profound leader in psychology and recognition of the vast human potential. His unique and calm approach allows people to experience a heartfelt shift in attitude and well-being. As part of his work, he provides the tools for success, exchanging fear, blame and anger for peace of mind, teaching the ways in which to experience greater happiness in every aspect of life. Dr. Susan Anthony from England. Dr. Lee Jamposki, welcome to you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Did I do well with that, Susie? <laughs> yes, you did. I am so privileged to have both of you with me today. Um, I know that both of you are such uh, wonderful friends and have uh, shared so much experience of life together. And what I'd like to do is transform that and translate that to our listeners today. I'd like to start off with you, if I may. Uh, Susan, uh, can you provide me with a two-minute, which will probably go to about eight-minute, summary of what you're doing right now? I think I can do it in two minutes, actually. (laughs) I have to say, today, I really know what true happiness is. I found my bliss because I followed my passion, which is helping others to find their best selves and to live their best lives. And I'm living in community, as you know, in wonderful Somerset. And I share everything I have, all my love, wisdom, time, and money. And it's a great way to live selflessly, and I love it. And every day, really, is a celebration now, because ego no longer drives the car of my life. Spirit is in the driving seat. And with spirit, the destination is about enlightenment, but it's... The journey, really, that's most important, this is about growth and about wholeness. It's a great way to live. I'm really loving life, and it's loving me back. What I've also discovered is that I can have anything I desire in life, and because I listen to spirit, my desires are healthy these days. I know what I need for my own growth, and I also know what will benefit my world and my tribe. I know I'll have to work for it, though. What I have to ensure is that I keep this 
spiritual connection strong so that I come from love every day. In ego, before, in, in what I term as my personality life, I was a victim and I suffered a lot. You're right. What I discovered is that all of life's pain and suffering comes from craving and obsession in ego. But today, I feel really victorious, vibrant, and truly alive because I've made the solutions to all of my problems from my past a great teaching resource to help others. And this has given me higher meaning and purpose in my life. And I feel at last I'm giving something useful back to my world and my tribe. And how do I use society these days? Well, um, one of my favorite movies, The Matrix, will help me out with this, Agent Smith. He summed this up beautifully. He called the human race a disease, where we move to an area, we multiply and multiply, until every natural resource is consumed, and the only way we can su survive is to spread to another area and destroy that. So my goals are closely related to that these days, to help create another hero generation. And we've spoken about this in great depth, David. We have. It's to teach people how to reconnect to spirit, to learn how to listen to spirit, to show people how to work together and really, truly cooperate to evolve the collective consciousness so that we can transform ourselves and our world. That's really what I'm doing in community in the man house. And my God, it's hard work, but it's also magical and fun. And recently it was described as a kind of Hogwarts for adults. So that's, that's me. That was an amazing way to start off the program. <laughs> I have to tell you, Susan, that I've had the most profound time with Lee. Simply life-changing. And I think I will ask Lee to follow that up and provide us with a... So much for your two-minute summary, by the way, Susan. Oh, was that over? Yeah, it went to two minutes, two seconds. It wasn't good enough. Oh. <clears throat> but you did extremely well, and I thank you. Lee, would you like to, uh, to do the same for our listeners? As Susie was talking, I, I, for some reason, was thinking of the Charlie Brown comic when... Halloween time, he everybody's saying what they got, and you know, people go, oh, "I got a Snickers and I got a Milky Way." And Charlie Brown looks in his bag and says, "I got a rock." <laughs> 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 Much of my life, I think I thought I was getting the a rock, and I was comparing comparing myself to what other people got. I grew up in a family where outwardly success was hugely important. Uh, my, father was a very successful physician and his brothers the same my mother a very successful designer and much of my life I thought was about achieving uh, during my adolescence and early 20s I was heavily involved in drugs and experienced a lot of problems with addiction today I have a, a much different life than I would have thought that I would have had about 15 years ago, a pivotal experience happened for me, and I had an autoimmune disease, and I woke up one day, and uh, almost all of my hearing was gone. And 
you can imagine as a psychologist who makes his living uh, primarily from being able to hear others speak, it was uh, not, a, not a good day, so to speak. I really try and practice in my life that all things, including our challenges, are things that we learn from, that we grow from. And if you'd asked me back then, perhaps the day before I lost my hearing, if I had everything in my life if that I wanted, if was it going in the direction that I wished it to be going into, I would have given you a thumbs up. I would have said, absolutely. I have a successful career, a beautiful family. I'm you know, on a medical staff at a hospital. Everything's going great. Nice house, plenty of money. But if you'd asked me in my heart of hearts whether that was actually really, really true, I would have told you no, it, it was not true. That I wasn't really following my heart. If you'd asked me what I'd really like to do, it would be to spend more time with my kids, more time contemplating, more time writing and giving to others, more time doing things in the world that I actually felt were making a difference. Well, today that's the life that I feel that I'm primarily living, not without sometimes challenges or doubts or questions, but my hearing loss really allowed me to make a switch, make a change, decide how I was going to live my life. So today I'm much less concerned with the what's of life. In other words, what am I doing? I'm much more concerned with how am I doing it? What am I bringing to each person? What am I bringing to this table right now as you and I and Susie talk? And hopefully the answer to that is that I'm bringing a sense of desire to listen, to understand, to have compassion, to care. So that's what my life is about today. It's much more about stopping than doing. Can I ask you, before we return to you, Susan, Lee, can you remember when you first met Susan? Well, that is somewhat, you know, you, you asked me that a little bit earlier, and it, it's somewhat of a complicated question because the in many ways I... <laughs> I feel that I've known Susie much longer than me, maybe this lifetime, if that makes sense to you. So um, the, uh, the actual conscious memory, uh, Susie is a person who I believe when she walks in the room, if you have any sensitivity at all, you will notice that there's something different about this person. And uh, what I believe that difference is, is that it, it's a combination of, of brilliance and having lived in the trenches as well. Uh, I, I'm around a lot of people, uh, a lot of very brilliant people, but oftentimes their intellectual knowledge is not matched by their having really lived and having a desire to live their, their truth, their path. Uh, to take their struggles and to actually learn something from them. And I think that is Susie's and my connection, and that's what I took from our first meeting. Susie, you are now very red-faced, I'm sure. <laughs> I am. How about, how about your response to that? Wow. Well, I humbly approached Lee for a book endorsement for A Map to God, and my sense is that we both recognized in each other that we'd put in an enormous amount of work to transcend ego and to come from love. And we were both giving something back to our world, um, doing our best to share the wealth of wisdom that we had been unearthing in our own 
transformation processes. My sense is what really cemented our friendship is we felt the hero in each other. We had both learned really how to become secure, even in times of great trial, insecurity, and taught ourselves to see loss rather as opportunity disguised as loss. And that requires faith. And faith comes from love. So ultimate, ultimately, to me, it would seem that love brought us together and keeps nourishing us too and allows our friendship to grow. You're talking about disturbances here. You're talking about the experience of pain and loss. Actually, the word loss has not come up too often in our conversations this morning together, except, of course, I talked to you about my dear father. Uh, Lee, what is it about your own life that you have learned from specifically that can transform others in terms of the depth to which we seek this morning with our conversation in transforming others to believe that there is so much more that they can aspire to by listening to people like yourselves and understanding that everybody has the same insecurities, the same fears? I find myself in life uncomfortable with a label that would look like uh, an expert or that I know more than somebody else or that I'm even sometimes a leader sometimes is uncomfortable for me because I, I tend to be much more of an introverted heart and what I do is really attempt and try to approach life that all situations are lessons for us to learn from, that all situations hold teachings of God, if you will. That is not limited to our disturbing situations or our joyful situations, but really looking at the human experience as what can we learn from this and how can we become better human beings? Most people after a challenge, including our current financial time, they struggle to get back to normal. But that's their goal. How do I get back to normal? How do I get back to where I was? And I believe that's a mistake. I think what Susie teaches and what I like to think of myself as teaching is that it's a time to deeply contemplate, to look at how can this teach me about my connection with humanity rather than my separation from it? And then to begin to act from that. There's a term that I'm fond of these days, and it's called post-traumatic growth. We've all heard about post-traumatic stress in terms of what happens if something doesn't go right in our life and how it deeply affects us. And certainly I've experienced some of that, and many very brave people have as well. There's nothing shameful about it. But I also believe that we can learn the facets of what leads to post-traumatic growth. Uh, Susie is a living example of that. She's had many, many health challenges and other challenges in her life, and yet here she is today on this program, obviously with a tremendous amount of love and caring and compassion in her heart. She's a, an example of what post-traumatic growth looks like. In other words, we don't blame, we don't go inside and be defeated, rather we ask ourselves and we ask God, how can I serve at this point? How can I give back? 
What would your response to that be, Susie? Well, I'm exactly on the same page. I mean, what I've discovered is that from 18 years of helping others, a pattern emerged that each and every one of us has at least one life-changing event, be it the death of a loved one, divorce, redundancy, something that causes personality to meet the spirit. And at this time, we're given the opportunity to choose which voice we're going to listen to in order to live the second part of our lives in a much bolder, more powerful way, embracing greatness. So, yeah, this is post-traumatic growth. And what I would say is when we choose spirit, we find an unfoldment of a life much greater than we could have anticipated, which definitely in the ordinary scheme of things we didn't see coming or dream could even be possible that's happening to me now so disturbance loss pain suffering are all ultimately gifts they put us back in touch with others other people with our own humanity and pain loss and suffering to me that's where our greatness lies is it the something that as human beings we should accept as being the normal journey of life and rather than sit with it mull it over that we should then find that way to transform those more painful parts of our life into a joyful one uh, I think the crux of the matter comes to so many people, including myself at one time, go through life with a series of uh, a game plan, essentially. And we have our stamp of what's happening now is good and our stamp of uh, I didn't order this. <laughs> and we overlook the power of acceptance. What I mean by this is that Change is a, a very popular commodity these days. Just about every political campaign, at least here in the States right now, is about trumpeting change. So it seems to be, okay, it's a, a sellable commodity. Well, as a psychologist, I know, and I'm sure many of your listeners know, that as much as we oftentimes want change, we're also resistant to it that we become habitual, if you will, in our, our patterns of behavior. And our ego, and I'd term the ego the part of our mind that believes we're separate, I'm separate from you, separate from God, separate from spirit, that it believes, that ego separation believes that the way we do effective change is through judgment. So we kind of shake our finger at ourselves saying this is wrong do something different or we shake our finger at somebody else you're doing something wrong you ought to do it differently this only leads to temporary at best and surface change no no sense of deep change i have something that i call the paradox of change where really deep change when i say deep change i'm talking about what susie was just talking about that sense of Wow, there, I'm, I'm being transformed. Something is really changing within me. That comes first, not from judgment, but from acceptance. 
from a sense of this is happening to me there must be something here to learn right? that one statement that one perspective can transform a life that's been filled with fear and very non-heroic if you want to the beginning of the hero's journey that that aspect of something to learn I'm assuming is not learning from the person who is staring you in the eyes the other side of the room but learning from yourself as to why you are going through these things I like to think of it as that's it's taking the first step to allow ourselves to be shaped by love how would you express that uh, Susie well again I have to agree with Lee unfortunately there are six point six billion people on the planet who've been shaped by fear which is like a virus infecting all our thoughts, feelings, emotions, attitudes, and behavior. And fear tells us we can't. It tells us we're not enough. It makes us contract. And it's destructive. And as you were saying, it, it teaches us to resist change and to avoid pain rather than learn from it. And fear, above all, teaches us to seek security, to be greedy, not to share, and to dread loss. But I have to say, this isn't security, this is stagnation. And we have to find the hero within to face our fears so that we can live our dreams. I'd like to, if I may, and I'm referring to our notes here, talk about the exchange you use this word exchange from a world of fear insecurity loss judgmental position into this sense of love and fulfillment what is that absolute catalyst of exchange in a human being how do you define that exchange how does that work I'll ask Lee that question, Susan. The first step is at some level having a recognition that there must be a better way to go through life than being dragged through kicking and screaming. That we have to come to some recognition that this isn't working so well. The this we need to begin to see as our thoughts. We cannot affect any sense of deep change, we will not find any sense of peace of mind, and we certainly won't find any sense of problems to uh, solutions to our ecological problems, as long as we see the source of the problem is out there. Most of us go through life thinking, if I change you a little bit, I'll feel better. If I get a better job, I'll feel better. If I change the house I live in, I'll feel better. If I simply can find a solution to my aging body, body, I'll feel better. All these things that are outside of ourselves to one level or another. The first step is recognizing that the problem is our own thoughts. And the problem within our own thoughts is the degree that we believe that we're separate from one another. That separation, we talk about fear. It would be good to talk about what the source of fear is. That separation, in my opinion, is the source of fear. So where we start is with our own thoughts, recognizing that the way we've been doing it has not worked, 
and that all of the ways that we've been doing it is based on separation. Susie, can I ask you, then, let's assume that we are successful in changing ourselves and exchanging all of these negative values in our life for good values of love, understanding, forgiveness. What would you say proves that in a person, in an individual that you come across to actually show you that that has occurred? Well, if I look back to my own uh, rehab days, um, they gave me four simple levels of, of evolution to, to reconnect to spirit. And the first is very simple, unconscious incompetence, where we don't know that we don't know. And our actions here are under the influence of obsessions, compulsions, cravings, attachments. We're very much victims, taking everything personally, blaming others, and being in a negative emotional state most of the time, or in my case, all of the time. We then graduate with a little knowledge to conscious incompetence, where we know we don't know about connection to spirit. And this signifies the beginning of a reconnection to spirit. But we're still fairly negative, and we're still blaming in our patterns of behavior. We do a little bit more work, and we graduate to conscious competence, where we know we know, but we still have to think about it. And then we begin to work through seriously and transform negative emotions into positive feelings with no blaming. So it's about taking self-responsibility. Lee's absolutely right. We can't change anything except ourselves, and that's all we ever need to change. And then the, the final stage of spiritual evolution is unconscious competence, where we know we know, and we've done so much work that we no longer have to think about it. Our spirit has been integrated, and almost effortlessly we can live spiritual principles without thought. Can I ask you, Lee, we are defining, as it were, the steps of recovery, transformation. Is that now brought around internally through wisdom or through knowledge or through both? Because there are incredibly different meanings to those two words. I tend to be uh, kind of a simple guy when it comes to practicing this stuff myself. And the litmus test that I often have for myself is, it is what I'm thinking or is my actions resulting in gain for all involved? It is what I'm thinking or, or what I'm doing good for me in terms of my own personal growth? Now, I don't mean good for me in terms of necessarily getting what I think I want, but sometimes that's the opposite of what is good for me. And is it also doing that for other people? If it is, I call that wisdom. Right? If it's not, it, it's not wisdom. Now, 
we have very, very chatty minds. It, it, it's very difficult to take two or three steps without having some thought or, or some inner dialogue. I think the first step is to be able to look at and decide and decipher who's doing the talking. What is the source of that voice? Is it coming from that sense of fear and separation? Because if it is, it's going to be leading me down a trail that's going to lead to inner conflict. Or is it coming from a, a voice of peace, from spirit, of love, of compassion? And if it is, it's going to be leading me towards more and more wisdom. And knowledge is a, is a byproduct or a result of wisdom? I must plead that I have no idea because, in part, I don't want to know. Because to me, as soon as I think I know, I've defined something in a means that I'm no longer really listening. And you're going to stop the effort. Exactly. I, I, like, I liken it to, you know, when I was a little kid growing up, uh, we had a lot of hills. And I, I would sometimes lay on my back at night and looking up. And I, I would have that experience of infinity. Okay. But as soon as I kind of would start maybe thinking about, well, how far does it, you know, it, then it, it takes away from the experience. I try and approach knowledge in the same way, that it's beyond what I can fathom as this person named Lee. At best, I can lay on my back and look at it and have that experience of infinity. This is interesting, Susie, in my wonderful conversation with, with Lee this morning. We talked about the concepts, the definitions of a hero. Uh-huh. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, Lee, but I think that part of that definition was the ability of somebody never to stop, never to stop aspiring to something, never to see an end or a horizon, but always to keep climbing with the view that that climb would never stop, that it would be never-ending in the life's journey. Would, would you agree with that? Uh, I would agree with that with the addition of uh, it, it would be, I think, not a good thing to think uh, that the hero never has doubt okay? because we're fallible human beings and we, we still have doubt. Uh, you know what the heck are you doing? <laughs> you're gonna, you know, I think that kind of thing. Look what you look what you're about to lose, or whatever it is. To me, the the hero's journey is is a is how quick we are to not listen for very long to that doubt, to simply see it as chatter and move on. How would you how would you uh, look at that, Susie? Well, I remember somebody teaching me once, um, and it was about Mother Teresa, actually, that she had doubts on a daily basis. And when she was questioned about this, she admitted it. And she said, actually, you know, Christ would far rather um, 
work with someone who had doubts and was honest about it because at least they're still in touch with what they're feeling and transcending doubts and transcending fear whereas somebody who just pays lip service and is, is a Sunday worshipper and that's it and then goes home and kicks the dog that isn't a house where spirit would dwell is that what they do over there, Susie? They go, they go home and kick the dog. <laughs> I've no idea. <laughs> the no way idea. you said that, it's so British. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> so, I apologise to your American listeners in advance. No, that's okay. <laughs> we'll we'll accept that. Can I can I take both of you and move forward? Yeah. We have all of these criteria that that that. Uh, get in our way as it were whether it would be fear insecurity um betrayal sense of loss and again Susie Lee and I had a incredible conversation this morning uh, about addiction and I know that this is a, a great specialization because in many ways all of these are a sense of addiction the, yeah. the the fact that you're addicted to fear um, as much as you're addicted to loss is something that can be turned around. How how do you look at that word addiction in context to what we've been discussing? How do I look at addiction? Oh, my God. Well, um, when I was in rehab, I was told to have... Uh, to feel no stigma because I was suffering from a disease and addiction is a disease and I can't help it. It's in my genes. And I actually had a flash of inspiration at that point and I said to the medical team, you know what? I don't think addiction is a disease. I think it's a, a symptom of a much larger disease that affects everybody on this planet. And that disease is separation from spirit and the resultant lack of self-love and the pain that you feel from that separation you then reach out in all kinds of compulsive obsessive addictive ways to kill the pain for me it was drugs but for many people it you know it's it's other people it's codependency let's look at modern addictions though we've, we've talked about all these traditional words that we're well acquainted with and again Susie Lee and I talked about uh, the addiction that I had really found out in Facebook in technology and people who sit on computers all day playing games they're as addictive as, as all of these conventional addictions that we, we, we talked about definitely and and Lee, how how is that yet another challenge for our youngsters that is of equal power and concern that they have to overcome through the most amazing challenges? Considering that that what they do with technology is tend to sit in a room on their own, staring at a at a computer screen, being very insulated. I think you're describing a, a huge problem that we have in our culture today. There's an increase in fragmentation with increase in technology, that we have so much information coming at us, 
and especially younger people, kids, that there was a book, I think, by, uh, I think his name was Joseph Pierce, Crack and the Cosmic Egg, many, many, many years ago, before a lot of this technology stuff came out. And he was discussed seeing exactly what I feel has happened, that there is a huge um, chance that technology with youth will take further and further away from a soulful and meaningful and purposeful life because there's so much input happening at exactly the time when there needs to be feeling, contemplation, coming to know who they are. If we look at the source of addiction as being separation and fear, what is all that fragmentation doing? It's increasing separation and fear. As Susie was saying, the the feeling that, that motivates or fuels addiction is feeling a sense of emptiness that we need to have something filled. Okay? That's happening more and more and more among youth, not just drugs and alcohol, but all, all lifestyle choices. Can I ask one of you, <laughs> for our listeners then, when we talk about the word spirituality, can I ask both of you for your brief definition of that again in context to what we've discussed thus far? You go for it, Susie. I'm sure okay. we'll agree on this. Right. Well, spirituality, everyone's heard the concept of treating one's neighbor as one would like to be treated. So spirituality to me is about inclusion and tolerance and a respect for individuality and uniqueness alongside this. I believe true spirituality embraces all other belief systems. And I think it's dangerous choosing just one belief system at the exclusion of all others, by the way. Because when we call ourselves an Indian or a Muslim, a Christian, an American, anything else, we're being violent. Krishnamurti taught me this because we're separating ourselves from the rest of mankind. And when we separate ourselves by belief, by nationality, by tradition, it breeds violence. And you only have to watch the news to know this is true. So for me, it's about do unto others as you would expect to receive back. And, and that's the law of causality. So it's about inclusion and tolerance and respect all life how should you place spirituality into context in modern day psychology for example to me it, it the the real question is not necessarily how do we place spirituality into a particular field in this case psychology or in another case politics or what what or, it might or, be or religion or religion Again, I try and be very practical and pragmatic in my life, and it's the question I ask is, how can I place spirituality in my life right now, this moment, here, today? What that means to me is how can I have and communicate the experience of connection and love right now? 
How I do that is by pausing, feeling my own heart, feeling my own compassion, imagining you, imagining your listeners, imagining your father that you discussed earlier, your love for him, imagining my love for Susie, letting it get larger and larger, extending it to all of your listeners, feeling myself well up with tears as I do so, and trusting that that experience reaches people and makes a difference. That's the central question. I think you have to respond to that, Susie. Bravo. Wow. I just, you know, for me, spirituality and teaching people to reconnect to spirit, to create miracles, to heal, to intuit, it's just an everyday natural way of being for me these days. And unfortunately, these teachings have been kind of put out on the fringe, whereas people find it much more socially acceptable to say, in big business circles perhaps, I'm a Roman Catholic. But they're they're asleep in the lie of ego, and they're denying, actually, the atrocities that the Church of Rome have perpetrated throughout history, the torture, the killing, the inquisition, the expropriation, the stealing of land and treasure. But somehow it's become socially acceptable to say, I'm a Roman Catholic. But to actually talk about new spiritual perceptions and the ability to heal, to transform, to create miracles, to create your reality, this has been pushed out onto the fringe. And I think that's a terrible shame. And it's a mindset we need to change. And I feel the way to achieve this ignorance around what is spirituality we need to educate people and banish the ignorance that's my reply and what i would just say is all religions are schools and spirituality is the education we're supposed to receive yet quite simply many religions forgot to educate us it doesn't mean by the way that they're bad or wrong just incomplete can i Can I ask you, Lee, what the balance is between this spirituality that we know that we need and religion? How would we need to express that? I think, let's use my friend Hugh Prather as an example. Hugh's a wonderful guy, an author. Many years ago, I believe somewhere in Arizona, maybe Tucson, uh, he's a minister. He was asked to start a church. And he was very reluctant to do so because he felt that if he did, it would only be a matter of time before there was infighting among the members, who was right, who was wrong, trying to go out and convert, et cetera, et cetera. So he started something uh, that he called the dispensable church. And he said that at the first sign of this, it will be dispensed because it will not be what he wanted in terms of teaching spirituality. And he held true to that. There was thousands of people and members, and the moment that it began to look that way, he dispensed the church. He stopped it. Now, I'm not suggesting that all religions, all churches should now close their doors because they have moved away from spirituality. 
But I am suggesting that it, it's essential, as I think Susie agrees, that we get back to the heartbeat, to the experience. And this is the key. A Course of Miracles, which is dear to my heart, says that a universal theology is impossible, but a universal experience is not only possible but necessary. It's this universal experience of oneness, of care, of love, of compassion, that I think all religion needs to remember, get back to. And I might add, I don't think it's only religion that makes the, the mistake. History shows us that political structures do the same thing and make some of the same mistakes. But at the heart, at the core, many are good, many are rich, many are true. How would you answer the question from somebody who said, what is the difference between being spiritual and godly? Well, I can answer that. What I would say, and I think this is a wonderful question, by the way, David, thank you, is when we reconnect to spirit and find the hero within, earth becomes like heaven and we become godlike. We begin to experience ourselves as conscious creators of our chosen experience. As I said before, we can heal, we can create, we can prophesy. And the Gnostic Christians believed that there is only one universal consciousness, God, which expresses itself through every one of us in different ways. The Bible also taught that we are gods. John 10.34, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, ye are gods? Well, I don't think I'll disagree with that teacher. Of course, what's happened is we've forgotten we're gods. When we become too identified with the body and we get lost in the doing, having, consuming. So, we are gods, whether we remembered that or not. And there's a choice point here. Would you rather be a rat? Lily Tomlin said that the trouble with being in the rat race, doing, having, consuming, is that even if we win, we're still rats. Who wants to be a rat? I'd rather be a god. As we near the end of the program, it's always unbelievable how quickly we travel. But then when you have these conversations, that is what happens. I'd like to ask both of you a two-barreled question. And starting with you, Lee, if I may, to describe in ending this program the real meaning and outcome and the joy of love. And when you have completed that, if you may, I would love to hear uh, and love our listeners to know about uh, your love for the sea and your love of flying down the coast and uh, your, your love of California. As you know, writing is a, a joy of mine and sometimes it, I communicate best in uh, prose or poetry. And at the, the end of uh, my last book, Healing the Addictive Personality, I asked myself the exact same question that you just posed. So in brief, let me read a, a short poem. I call it Unfolding. Love always surrounds us in gentility. Yet we so often turn our backs, walking aimlessly into darkness. 
May we each cease this futile pattern and surrender to the serenity of love. Breathe in the joy of life. Let us pass our days smiling upon each other while extending our hands in kindness and forgiveness. May we speak from the center of our being and allow others to know our hearts. May we each feel the limitless depth of love that abides in and around us and know that this is who we are. Awesome. To briefly answer your second question, yes, I do have a love for the coast and where I live in the Monterey Peninsula. But I, I used to play a game when my kids were little and uh, it, it was, uh, could you be happy here? We would drive through places that might not be very aesthetically pleasing and think about how we, how you could have a life no matter where your feet are planted that was full of purpose and meaning and, and love. So I think that I love the Monterey Peninsula where I live, and I say this humbly, more from the stance I have while I'm there. I would like to think that I could be just as happy wherever my feet might be planted. That being said, I'm very grateful for the area, and you mentioned flying. I'm uh, uh, just starting a new project now uh, where I've always loved to fly, and I learned that you, you're a pilot as well, David, and we're going to be teaching uh, disabled people to fly, uh, helping them overcome challenges through an uh, adventure. So that's my, my next undertaking right now. And Susie, you live in a part of England where my heart resides. Yes, I do. And um, if you'd like to, as we close out here, respond to the same two questions, I would be grateful. Well, to me, love is an experience of grace. And I don't believe it's a reward for good behavior or something that's earned or bargained for or even won. I think love and grace is realized when we're open to receive it. And I know I have opened to receive this. And I'm sure it's the reason I'm living here in the incredible surroundings of the Mendips close to Glastonbury. I mean, it's green, it's tranquil, it's a haven, it's peaceful. There are no street lights, no cars, no planes. There are herds of wild an animals roaming the hilltops. And, you know, you walk around a corner, you'll see a deer, a wild horse, a goat. And there are peregrine falcons and herons hunting around the land. And everywhere, if you can picture Avatar, the movie, the incredible colors, the flowers in bloom here, these colors are everywhere. It's awe-inspiring beauty. And above all, surrounded by the love of nature, having that energy pouring into my space, it becomes effortless to reconnect to spirit here and transform and listen to guidance and to me it's so important to maintain that love in all our relationships and practice real intimacy into me see 
And you can only do that through open, honest sharing, through being willing to out your ego shadow persona and realize as well in any confrontation, this isn't about you. It's about behavior that needs to be transformed so that we can all return to love and be the hero we need to be to help our planet transform. Would you like in our last uh, couple of minutes, and thank you so much for that, Susie, would you like in our last couple of minutes, Lee, just to give us your final thoughts for the day? With my hearing, I I couldn't get everything that uh, Susie was just saying in her description of uh, where she lives, but I would like to add uh, my description of that, having been there myself. If Susie's home and the community that she were building were in the most desolate part of this planet, the most horrid surroundings that one could imagine. Upon visiting there, I would say that it was one of the most beautiful places that I had ever been. And for anybody who has the inkling or the uh, curiosity about what building community is, uh, they would do well by visiting or, or contacting Susie and her community. Wow, bless you. That's a powerful recommendation. Thank you. Dr. Susan Anthony and Dr. Lee Jampolsky, I thank you both so much for being on the program. It goes by so terribly quickly. I'm sure we'll do this again one day. Thank you so much. Thank you, Devin. And thank you, and thank you, Lee. And to our listeners, I hope that you have enjoyed this program as much as I have today. You can gain information on this program and any other program in the series at davidgibbons.org. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, stay well. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in Discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 